And I think the history of modern democracy, 200 years, has been periods of getting towards the goal and telos, and then periods of sliding back, and we're in a big period of sliding back. This is R.J. McGill from the American Academy in Berlin, and you're listening to Beyond the Lecture. On November 16th, the renowned Canadian philosopher Charles Taylor was at the American Academy to deliver the 2017 Fritz Stern Lecture, Democratic Degeneration, Three Easy Paths to Regression. Taylor's talk addressed a concern held by increasing numbers of thoughtful people in recent years, that democracy is sliding backwards, losing ground internationally to authoritarian rule, voter apathy, and the slogans of populist rhetoric. To understand more about Taylor's thoughts on the subject, we arranged a discussion between him and American Academy fellow Dilip Gwonkar, a political theorist at Northwestern University and Taylor's decades-long colleague at the Center for Transcultural Studies. We recorded their discussion at the Institute for Advanced Sustainability Studies in Potsdam, where Taylor is a short-term fellow. So one of the central themes of that lecture was when we were talking about democracy and degeneration, there were three distinct paths along which this degeneration takes place, which you call three paths to regression, especially about advanced Western-style democracies. Could you once again spell out briefly what Mm. these three regressions are and why you're focused on those three? Well, demos, of course, in Greek, really translates not just the people as a whole, but the ordinary people, if you like, the non-elites, right? So one form of of, uh, a good democracy is where the non-elites have a real impact and they aren't totally rolled over by elites. But a regression would mean a situation in which over several decades, the non-elites become more and more powerless, less and less capable, more and more find that things are decided for them by elites. And I think the history of modern democracy, 200 years, has been periods of getting towards the goal and telos and then periods of sliding back. And we're in a big period of sliding back since about 1975. The second kind of regression is when you redefine the demos, the non-elites, in some kind of ethnic or nativist or we were here first terms. And a lot of people who are very disadvantaged, who are really belong to the non-elites, are excluded. They aren't considered part of the people. And the third form of, re- of regression that really follows from the second form is where we don't understand democracy anymore as the continuing deliberation of the whole people, but democracy is understood as the majority winning, right? And they can just ride over the minority. Uh, The people have been talking about the current crisis as originating in some historical period of time and evolving, the crisis developing, deepening, and so on. You place it around 1975, and also you suggested it is sort of end of what the French call the 30 glorious years. And after that, 1979 onward, you see is the beginning of this so-called regressive tendencies. But what is interesting about that is you also, that is the period of what people generally call is a new wave of democratic revolutions. Mm-hmm. So your regressions sort of coincide with also the third wave of democratic yeah. revolutions. Yeah. It's not an accident that there's, there's this um, 
that this is parallel between the breakdown of an or the weakening of an earlier system of influence, getting influence and control over politics, and the, as it were, multiplication of different causes which were being listened to. And then, of course, uh, along with that relative opacity goes a greater degree of the weakening of non-elite control, because you see the system begins to spiral down and that people vote less. When they vote less, money becomes more important, so their influence is even less, so they vote less again, and you get a kind of spiraling down. So in all Western democracies we've had since that period, let's say, say 1980, a decline in voter participation, maybe a blip up from time to time, but the general thing is a decline. It may start at different levels in different societies, but the direction has been the same. I mean, you know, you express concern also in your other writing, if not in Fitzstern lecture itself, about how you see the similar kind of regressive tendencies are beginning to occur on those democracies which had just come alive, mm -hmm. you know, say in Eastern Europe, let alone other parts of the world. Yeah. And there too, you're beginning to see these regressive tendencies in many ways, yeah. aren't you? Yes, but they don't have exactly the same yeah. origin. In the Western case, the sense of what I call declining citizen efficacy, felt efficacy, right, has produced a very strong sense of deprivation on a certain level. And it's very interesting how it works out because sometimes people say, oh, we don't care about that, you know, forget it, we, uh, politics does nothing for us. But when somebody comes along like Obama with the slogan, yes, we can, mm -hmm. it has tremendous resonance. And you think of a similar thing in, you know, in Spain after the Indignados movement, the party that comes out of that is Podemos. Yes, we can, right? Yeah. So you can, there's a real sense of deprivation here, which is very powerful. And this is one of the things which is, along with you know, social and economic uh, regression, which is powering the second regression in that the feeling is uh, that nothing seems to work to help us, but along come these people who say, well, I'll tell you what, it's all because you've been neglected by these liberal elites, and when you know what they've done, they've taken the money that should go to you, and they've given it to all these, whatever, Muslims or outsiders or Hispanics or whatever, right? So that particular deprivation, uh, deprivation of, if you like, loss of power, loss of, of control, then helps fuel this second regression towards the, if you like, the, the narrowing of the demos. The demos becomes defined as too narrow. Whereas, if you get a situation, I mean, situations like China and uh, Russia and Turkey, they, the, if you like, the this appeal of the demos was always very powerful, mm -hmm. but it's being now patently instrumentalized by power by, in order to crush dissent, or in order to manufacture the kind of general agreement which allows one to crush minorities. So you naturally began your stern lecture by invoking uh, Gramsci, by saying, you know, I'm an optimist if even, you know, pessimism of the mind, intellect. In intellect, and the optimism of the will. So you have, nevertheless, because as you dwell on these three paths to regression, you don't seem to have lost faith in the democratic project or how to go about it. 
and you seem to have been involved in some of these kind of a deliberative, small-scale kind of a democratic efforts at reconciling people, overcoming antagonisms, and so on. Would you like to say something about what kind of a things you have been involved and what you see are the productive things other people who are engaged in that you know of? And what might you think about its prospect? We're losing ground. We have people, Democrats, like me, are losing ground, but we have two avenues that we can fight back on. Mm-hmm. That's why you've got to keep the altruism of the wheel. Now, one avenue is such things as mass mobilization, the building up of networks, the kind of thing that Obama did in 2008, and unfortunately didn't sort of function afterwards. And that has great strengths and great weaknesses you have to guard against. The weaknesses are that sometimes these mass mobilizations are seen by the people demonstrating and so on, are seen by the people concerned as by themselves enough. So you get something like, I mean, the classic case, the Occupy movement in Zuccotti Square and so on, and you know, everyone thought, uh, this is it, we're going to show that Wall Street can't run the show like that anymore without us, etc. And people asked some of those guys, their kids there, and young people there, you know, well, are you going to vote? Oh, oh, who needs to vote? Right. But of course, the, you know, Wall Street just sat there and twiddled their thumbs, and then people got tired, and the police cleaned the secure the square, and we're back to, it be like square one. So there needs to be some kind of link between political parties that can actually get elected and make legislation and such movements. We have to talk to each other, and I've tried to do some of that in, in the Quebec context because we had a you know, movement, student movement that was demonstrating. That's, that's one avenue. Another important avenue is making a political program and casting it in such a way that you can overcome this gap between identities, the, if you like, nativist identities and identities of the others, or the ones who are first-class citizens in their mind and the ones who are second-class citizens. And that's something you can always do in principle because human identities are complex. So it's a matter of building these... Uh, um, coalitions, rebuilding these coalitions, and I think the Democrats did a terrible job of allowing the coalition to slip. During your uh, Stern lecture, you do mention about how democracy cannot really endure in the long run without substantive solidarities. You talk about national solidarities. Now, if we want to try to think about you know, this notion of solidarity and try to put it into the context of your larger work, including your very influential book, The Sources of the Self, where you sort of uh, track the origin of modern secular identity and its roots in Reformation and among other periods of Western European history, how does democratic project really can develop the kind of solidarity that is being maybe put under duress by mm-hmm. the kind of development which you track yeah. in the sources of the self. Yeah. The word solidarity may not be, may miss it a little bit too working class 20th century, but yeah. earlier forms of holding together were very often forms in which there were 
different functions, different classes, different orders, which had each their role. And sometimes this was backed with a conception of the cosmic order, which the, you know, the, the social political order kind of corresponds to. Now, that whole set of traditional understandings begins to erode with modernity. So we obviously have new forms of sociality, right? And you get the, the uh, working class organizations arising. Even there, they're constantly some kind of looking back to the past. You get to a point where these traditional reference points are so far behind in time, so far outside of our experience, that you get the conception of a new kind of, of um, way of coming together, which is the modern nation. The question is, can, can that project ever succeed? Do you think that is possible? I mean, it's certainly the, that kind of bonding is alive and well today. The, its problem is that it slides towards, yeah. as I say, a nativist or, you know, yeah. it can't incorporate people from outside. Yeah. So that's the big danger. Now, there could be another kind of danger. I mean, maybe the world of social media, etc., can create a whole lot of very special and to the people concerned, very strong virtual communities which totally ignore international boundaries. So it could be that um, that would undercut even the bad forms of, of national identity, mm. which would be, I think, a disaster because you can't have a modern democracy without people being committed to a very high degree to redistribution, to you know, vote, to, to deliberate in a way which takes into account everybody's interests, not just your particular group. So you could see a society maybe breaking up by the weakening of that. See, the example of how you can't have a democracy without this example is Europe. You can't have a democracy across Europe really effective. So the, mm -hmm. nothing is really importantly, uh, nothing has gone to the European Parliament that's important powers. That's what Macron is trying to create, incidentally. Yeah. So if any one of our existing democracies had a, the, its common identity got as weak as Europe's, we'd really be in trouble. You can't take any decisions at that point. You know, that was philosopher Charles Taylor, speaking with American Academy fellow and political theorist Dilip Gonkar for our Beyond the Lecture series. Taylor was at the American Academy in Berlin in mid-November to deliver the fall 2017 Fritz Stern lecture, Democratic Degeneration, Three Easy Paths to Regression. You can watch videos of Taylor's and Gonkar's Academy lectures, read each of their essays in the Berlin Journal, and hear more of our Beyond the Lecture series on our website, AmericanAcademy.de. You can also get the latest content from the American Academy on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, SoundCloud, and Vimeo. Beyond the Lecture is a production of the American Academy in Berlin and is produced by William Glucroft. This is RJ McGill. Thanks for listening. <laughs>